Welcome to Take the Stage. I'm Alexis Alvarez with Career Rockstars. This is episode three of my special Ladies Who Rock series dedicated to all those rock star women who have progressed in industries or roles that have been historically underrepresented by women. You're going to learn who they are, their career paths, and most importantly, what makes them rock stars. All right. So today on Take the Stage, our special Lady Who Rocks guest is Malia Funk. Malia, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to have you as my guest. I have been wanting to highlight a woman in private equity for so long. Thanks, Alexis. I'm really excited to be here and to chat with you today. Awesome. So <laughs> I'm going to gush about you. So I, my purpose to kind of maybe make you blush a little bit here. So, um, you know, what I love about having you on my show is that you're not only a woman who has been able to pivot into private equity, but you are in the early stages of your career in PE. And, and I'll tell you that the reason why I love that is because I feel like we need more women like you to shine the spotlight on this path. I feel like many times as a society, we, we glorify and we really hype, you know, all those people that have made it. And, you know, whether they're athletes or celebrities or CEOs. And, and of course, we need to recognize people's achievements. That's very important. But I feel like so many times we focus on the finish line and we forget about the training, the practice, the work um, that really helps you get there. And so I love talking to people who are in the early stages of their career because it's really an opportunity to understand where you are in your journey. And in this case, because there are so few women in PE, I think this is going to be so interesting for others who are really entertaining the idea of moving into PE. So so please take the stage. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career path. Sure. So I am currently a second year associate at a lower middle market private equity firm in Manhattan. Brief overview of my role. I'm sure we'll talk about it more later. I work on acquisitions of various sizes, primarily performing due diligence and various deal execution activities. Part of our portfolio strategy includes pursuing bolt-on acquisitions. So a lot of my work is focused on finding ways to integrate these acquisitions. So it looks a little bit different than the standard buying a standalone company and holding it for some period of time. We're really focused on integration synergies as both cost and revenue. My story to get to this point is, I think, a little non-traditional, and I think PE and other adjacent fields are seeing more and more of this. (laughs) The Mm -hmm. prep school to Ivy League school to investment banking to PE path is definitely alive and well. But I think the industry is seeing a huge influx of other types of professionals, including myself. So I was born and raised in Hawaii. I graduated from high school there and went to Ohio State because they had great scholarship packages for out-of-state students. Uh, as well as a great business school. But also, to be fair, I was 18, had lived my whole life on a remote island, and Ohio State felt like the big all-American experience I had seen on TV my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and business school (laughs) felt like I would someday be someone who wore a suit and walked into big glass buildings in Manhattan. And that was something I always dreamed of growing up. So because of that, I declared finance as a major, even though I didn't actually know much about it. But 
I came from a community of very skilled nurses and had an interest in healthcare as a service. And so I was also on the pre-med track, not because I thought I would actually become a doctor, but because I was really interested in a lot of the issues that face healthcare as a business. I did my first internship at a large medical devices company in sort of a financial modeling and forecasting role, followed by internships and eventually a full-time job in big four consulting focused on you know mergers and acquisitions consulting. So that's the brief background. Now that I've been in my current role for almost a year, I can feel really confident saying that the move to PE was a great career move for me and I'm excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I, I love that because that that non-traditional path is makes your profile that much more interesting and that much more well-rounded just having this this experience and you know I think it really serves as a, a really great example of you know you're not tip you know you, you don't fall into that kind of that mold that many people might think um, you know when they first think of PE so that's I think that's really interesting for for the other you know young young women or you know that are listening and are perhaps contemplating a, a career in PE. Okay, Malia. So I have a two-part question. When you reflect on how you started, what both attracted you to PE, specifically acquisitions, and at the same time, concerned you about the chosen career path? I was introduced to acquisitions through my first uh, through an internship where I worked on a large hospital merger. And because my background has and continues to be in healthcare, I tend to look at acquisitions and private equity through that lens. And so when I look at the healthcare industry, it's in a significant consolidation and disruption phase right now. That much is clear. A former colleague and mentor of mine pointed out once that if you look at the market dynamics of an industry like pharmaceuticals, an adjacent industry, but that is much more mature as a business... Uh, it's characterized by you know a handful of mega players and all the market dynamics that come with that versus modern healthcare delivery, which is a lot newer and in the U.S. is about as fragmented as it gets, which implies that there will be major M&A activity in the future. So as I looked at this, I was attracted to the M&A space because I knew that there was market appetite for M&A professionals in healthcare. And I think that's true of several other industries uh, like tech that are being disrupted right now. In my internship, I was really attracted to the fast-paced nature of how M&A activity just fundamentally is. M&A is typically very impactful to a business. It can be the one single event that transforms a business. It can make or break a company, make or break even industries, and really move markets in a way that not a lot of other events can. In my first full-time role, specifically in the M&A consulting group, that is where I was first really exposed to the world of private equity. I noticed from my colleagues and mentors a lot of excitement to work with private equity clients and a deep respect for those clients for both the quality of their work and the impact that they made in their day-to-day jobs. And I remember thinking very early on that I wish I could do that. I wish I could be in one of those roles. And after a few years in the consulting practice, 
sort of studying and learning under some very intelligent people who had experience in private equity, that thought changed for me to, you know, I think I can do that. I have met many people in various investment operations and other types of roles in private equity. And I think I could be successful in one of those roles. So I ended up interviewing for about six months before accepting my current role. And I ultimately chose the opportunity because the role itself and the investment strategy of the firm fit best with my professional interests and my specific skill set. And like I said, I've been here for about a year and I do think that that was a great career move for me. However, if I think back to those six months where I was you know, looking at new opportunities, there definitely were a lot of fears and doubts. That six months of job searching was probably one of the most difficult, pivotal times in my career where I found myself really questioning what I wanted next, what I valued in a career and where I was looking to end up. So I had some of the more general concerns about PE, just as any, I think, person would. There's a lot of talk about work-life balance, culture, the ability to progress, succeed, and thrive in that culture. I think PE also tends to get a reputation for being a little bit cutthroat, uh, which I don't necessarily think is true across all firms and certainly hasn't been true based on what I've seen at places I've interviewed. Uh, but that is definitely the reputation. I also had fear of leaving a place that was familiar to me where I had a network and a foundation that I could go to and an industry I was familiar with. And that was a little bit scary to go to a new place. Also where I would be coming in, not as an undergraduate hire right out of college who doesn't really know anything, but as an quote, experienced hire who is expected to bring something to the table when they show up. Uh, that was really daunting. I also wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in me as a candidate because I had, like we talked about that non-traditional background you know, I know that I am smart and diligent and good at working in a variety of spaces, but, you know, could I convince others that I would be able to perform well and, you know, the higher stakes environment that is private equity. So those are kind of the doubts and fears that went through my mind through my process. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You, you've touched on a, on a few things here that I think are, are really interesting. One is, you know, the, the, the blanket statement that, you know, kind of that PE is really cutthroat. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's really important that you understand the firm and you understand their strategy and the culture because it's, it's true. I mean, it's not, not every single firm is cutthroat and, and, and of course not every firm is going to be, you know, the right fit for you. And what I like, you know, about what you said also is that, you know, you said that it took you, you know, it was a six month process for you, which is, really long <laughs> um, by, you know, by like normal standards. I mean, I work in recruitment, you know, <laughs> been doing it for many years and you don't really come across too many candidates that say, well, you know, I, this is month five of my, of the job, you know, the job search process, even if you're, you know, kind of passively re- looking six months is a really good time to understand firms, to understand their strategies, to make sure that it's the the right fit. And a lot of times candidates will breeze through the process a little bit too, too quickly. So 
I, I like that, you know, that, that you've mentioned that it was, you know, like a very, a lengthy process for you. And it wasn't, you know, at the same time, you're really understanding, you know, some of the, the, those feelings that you have or those concerns. And I like that, you know, you talked about that, the pressure of, you know, coming on as an experienced hire, because I'm sure that that is, something that many, <laughs> many candidates can, can relate to. And I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about it that way. So I thought that that was, that was really interesting. So, I mean, all of these, of course, are very valid feelings. And, and a lot of the time, you know, this, the fear, the doubt, the self-doubt, those self-limiting beliefs that, you know, as much as you want to kind of squeeze them out of your head, you know, they, sometimes they just kind of peek in. But, and many times they, they limit us from, from really exercising our true potential. I want to I wanna share a, an interesting observation um, with you that, you know, I've been, I've been recruiting in the PE space for about five years. And there's something that always occurs with female candidates. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure why. I mean, I have kind of my theories, but, you know, often, often I have women, junior and senior. So it's, you know, at all levels, they will engage with me and they will, you know, interview. And, and sometimes they'll interview with me and they'll, you know, they'll be solid candidates and they will end up interviewing with the client only to withdraw. And, and women withdraw far more often than men. And I've always thought that is an interesting occurrence. So, you know, my question to you is, do, do you think that, you know, that this is because women are more afraid of failure, which is a point that one of my, one of my first guests on the podcast said, do you think that, you know, women are more afraid of failure and therefore remove themselves from the situation in order to avoid, you know, that uh, the potential scenario, or do you think that it's, it's something else? I think that this is a great question. And I am, of course, really interested to hear your theories, especially, you know, as a recruiter who has spoken to so many women. And I think I sort of bring another perspective where I have a lot of women in similar fields that are my friends, not my colleagues. So I really hear a more, you know, unedited version of why they might choose to withdraw from an opportunity or how they look at applying for jobs. So well, I can't, you know, of course, speak for all women. I, I do think I have some good perspective here and have recognized a lot of themes just through the conversations I've had. So to answer the first part of your question, you know, is it because women are more afraid of failure? I think there is some truth to that. I think in these fields that are male dominated, there can sometimes feel like as a candidate, you have this pressure of representing all women when you interview, you know, maybe they haven't interviewed many women and it's already so stressful being in that interviewee seat and you're trying to come off as best as you can. And now you also have the pressure of trying to represent all women, which of course is an unfair standard to have to uphold. And I think that pressure is very real and um, it, it, it can be scary. When it comes to failure in terms of you know, there's the failure to get the job. And then also, what if I get the job and I fail at the company? And I think that is actually a more significant fear from what I've heard. Mentorship is a huge part of a career in business. And it's no secret that your relationship with leadership, with senior members of a firm will influence your ability to progress through the firm. 
And leaders tend to pick out mentees that they feel a connection to, that they will help pull them up through the ranks. So when you're a potential new female associate and all the leadership are men, it might feel like, will I be able to find that mentor, that connection that will help me progress through this organization? Even if I'm willing, will I be overlooked? So that's something that I've heard a lot. That's really interesting. You're making me think about <laughs> about that point because, you know, I, I always kind of saw it from a different angle. I mean, I've thought of that, but maybe not so much in, in that context. I thought perhaps that, you know, it's at the end of the day, it, it you know, comes down to kind of that intimidation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're the only woman or there's very few women, you don't see yourself represented, you know, among the, the higher levels. And so that that might be enough to kind of, you know, yeah. make you with withdraw. I, I've also thought that, and I mean, I don't really know if this is accurate or not, but I feel that women tend to be more, and I don't know if this is the right word either, but, you know, they tend to be more loyal to their employers and, you know, almost, you know, there's a, there's a strong sense of loyalty among like with the relationships that they've built or cultivated in, you know, in their companies. And so I've, I've, feel that they, you know, many times that that's something that has kind of kept them from, from moving forward because they have that deep sense of loyalty and, and it's not to change roles or to change careers is a very personal and kind of deeply rooted process for women. And I feel like for men, you know, and I don't know if it's like just the nature of men that, you know, they're, they're, they always seem to be a little bit more open to hearing about the opportunity. So I'll get a lot of responses that, you know, from women that will say, you know, thank you. This sounds really interesting, but you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not quite interested right now versus a man who will say, this sounds really interesting. I'm not really looking for a new role, but I'd love to hear more about it. So I always feel like men, not necessarily that that connection to the, their employer and to perhaps the relationships they build in, in that company or their team isn't, you know, necessarily strong enough to keep them from, you know, at least going on to the next, you know, to the next stage, which would be, you know, having a conversation with me. And then, you know, once, once I tell them about the opportunity, then most of the time, you know, they're, they're already mm-hmm. intrigued. I have their ear and they, and they want to move forward. Whereas, you know, women, it's, it's different. I've, I've always attributed it to, I don't know, like a, perhaps like the, that innate, you know, quality that, that women might have. I'm not, what, what are your thoughts on, yeah. my, <laughs> on my theory? Do you no, think? I think you touched on a very important part, which is the, the actual psychology of it. And, you know, in college, I had a lot of interest in this, took a few classes, have read some books and papers. And one thing that I've gleaned is that boys tend to be raised from the time that they're very young to openly demonstrate individualism and self-confidence. Those are seen as attractive traits in a male that will help them find friends um, and be successful. Whereas girls, the emphasis is more on to care for others and to put others above yourself and to be likable. So this has kind of can have sort of two impacts. One, like you said, women may be less likely to walk away from their current team because they feel like that would be that wouldn't be a good example of putting others above themselves. They don't want to abandon their team, even though I think in most cases, their team would be happy for them if they had a new opportunity. And then also the idea of being, you know, likable and caring, that doesn't really 
go well with walking into a final interview, standing up tall and going, I am the absolute best candidate. You should send everybody else home. You'd be crazy not to hire me. That level of, you know, outward self-confidence isn't necessarily emphasized uh, to young girls. And I think, you know, this is coming across in, in the professional world, you know, things that stem from just how we, you know, raise our children. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You know, and I, I, you said that and I, you know, I have two daughters and, and a boy and, and I'm trying to think, like, do, I, do I do that unconsciously? <laughs> do I do that unconsciously? I need to reflect on that. But in my, in my case, you know, just thinking about, you know, my career and my path, I, I and still to this day, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm well past my, well, not well past. I mean, I'm 40, I'm still young, <laughs> but I mean, uh, not in the early stages of my career and the, the whole likable factor. I mean, I feel like it still sticks with you, you know, like you, you're not, I feel like women might perhaps be less inclined to kind of put themselves out there because there is that fear of, okay, yes, am I, you know, what if they don't like mm-hmm. me? <laughs> and that is, you know, probably that is enough to kind of keep you from moving forward. So you've touched on on some interesting points, but I mean, you you're clearly not a woman who, you know, just listening to your career path. I mean, you're you're from you're from Hawaii. You're from the great state of Hawaii, <laughs> may I add. <laughs> but I mean, you're you're a long ways from home and, you know, you're clearly not intimidated by by many things, I don't think, just kind of given the nature of your your career path to date. And certainly not intimidated by the fact that there are, you know, few women in, well, there's, there's certainly not uh, that many women in consulting and, and far, you know, far less in, in PE. So obviously that sensation, those feelings didn't prevent you from leaving your past role because you're, you know, you've successfully pivoted into, into PE. So as a woman in private equity, um, and this is probably tying into one of the points that you mentioned earlier about the, the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to hear your response, but <laughs> how do you believe women of your generation uh, will be able to influence you know, the PE industry, especially now as career paths continue to evolve? Yeah, there's really two interesting pieces to that question. How will women influence PE and how will my generation influence PE? I, both of those stand out to me, you know, but given the theme of your podcast this month, I'm going to focus on talking about uh, myself as a woman, but maybe another time we can talk about millennials and Gen Zs in the workplace, because that's also a big factor. <laughs> yes, that's, that we could dedicate the month <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to that topic. Yeah. So I think that when it comes to more women joining the world of finance, PE specifically, the true incremental value has to do with how men and women experience the world differently. Sort of what we were talking about earlier about how they're raised differently but also just the path to PE. You know, you don't come out of high school or come out of grade school and get the job. By the time a woman finds herself working in private equity, she has already made so many decisions to make break so many molds and question the status quo every step of the way. She's probably faced a lot of setbacks, had to put herself out there based solely on her gender and has decided to move forward anyway. So by the time she gets to the table to help make big investment decisions, she's already extremely well-versed in questioning and breaking the status quo 
and asking big, difficult questions, as well as advocating for herself and others. So to summarize, I think this generation of women will bring a lot of just disruption to PE in general across the board, which is, I think, good because our current political climate is putting a lot of pressure on the traditional systems of wealth and investment uh, around regulation, taxes, compensation, but even just working styles and expectations of what it means to be a successful investor, all those things are fundamentally changing right now. So it's a great time for women to come in and be a conduit for that disruption. I think that kind of leads into another point, which is a big question that a lot of people ask themselves about careers and finances. Can I spend my whole career in PE? What about my life outside of work? And I think the rhetoric on women in finance is often that women will change the industry to provide more flexibility so that they can have babies, but also make partner. That's kind of the simple rhetoric that we hear. And Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's the full situation. Uh, Men also want to play larger roles in their families and still make partner. And women don't always want babies, but still might perform better in more flexible environments. So I think the question we should be asking as more women enter the field is, how can women entering PE be seen as an opportunity to reevaluate how work gets done? Women entering the space in general is just a great wake-up call for firms to modernize the way they treat all of their employees. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that and if you've seen that in your, in your recruiting at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it is certainly a much more complex conversation than just, you know, women want to have families and, you know, women want to have it all. I think you're right that there, you know, that it is, the industry is changing. I, I feel that I speak to a lot of men who tell me that that exact same thing. You know, I need to have, uh, you know, I want to have, <laughs> I want to have a better quality of yes. life. I want to have, I have family. So, I mean, it's time and, and it's, it's great that, you know, it's not just women that want to have this conversation. It, it's, it's men as well. And I think that, I mean, this, this is an also, you know, kind of could lead us down the rabbit hole. <laughs> You know, but I also feel that, you know, that men really need to be, you know, bigger advocates and have louder voices and be greater allies when it comes to these, uh, you know, to these issues. Because, you know, I feel like and I, and I made this point on another uh, on another interview with uh, a previous guest that women, you know, here we go again, taking on <laughs> feeling like we need to kind of take on the world ourselves. And and we do. I mean, women need to have a voice and, and you know, they definitely need to be proactive. But I mean, why it makes me question, why do we as women feel that we need to do this all on our own? You know, that I think that that men also um, need to be very active as well, or they should be just as, you know, vocal about bringing more mm-hmm. women into the space, you know, having more inclusivity. And especially, you know, with the this industry that's, you know, historically, you know, very, you know, can be perceived as a very conservative boys club type of space. So, I mean, yeah, I think, I think that it's kind of changing the, you know, changing the narrative and it's, and it's, it's like we said, you know, it's, beyond just, I want to have a family and I want to have babies. Cause you're right. There's lots of women out there um, who have absolutely no interest in that and, and, you know, and want to have the career they want to, you know, be able to, to progress 
to progress in the same ease and the same fashion as men. So, I mean, I think that these are all, you know, these are all really valid and interesting points. And I think, you know, lots of, you know, potentially game changing for the next generation of women to, to follow you. And I'm thinking, you know, these are the people that I'm thinking of specifically are, you know, all those young women in college right now, all those up and comers who are also perhaps in their first or second years of consulting and kind of looking at, you know, where their, where their career can take them. So, you know, my, my next question to you is how do you think women can, because you, you touched on, (laughs) you touched on so many things on that last, Mm -hmm. you know, on that last question that um, it's not, you know, private equity is not like a, you know, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an engineer. You know, you're not kind of brought up with that from a, from a young age. So it's, it can be hard to really understand what this career, the, the, the brilliance, I think that this career can bring uh, to you. So how do you think women can best prepare themselves for the challenges and, and certainly the rewards of, of a career in private equity? Well, there are certainly a lot of things to be done to prepare. And there, if you just Google it, there are so many articles. So I will, you know, keep my response to really sort of maybe more specific things that have helped me. A former manager once told me that first and foremost, you need to establish your hardware and then you can upload the software. And I know computer science engineers everywhere are cringing, but I like this analogy for young professionals. Because it means to focus on your basic core technical skills using Excel and other data analytics tools, understand fundamental accounting, learn how to quickly find information using your resources. Uh, For example, your firm, wherever you're at now, probably has S&P Capital IQ. Can you use it and glean information very quickly? And then over time, without really even trying, your managers and team will help you upload the software like client management, presentation skills, strategic thinking, storyboarding. Uh, so that can help you know young professionals be more focused. And it's something that I always come back to. Another piece of advice is not to get too hung up on the projects you're working or the deals you work on early on, as this is probably out of your control anyway. And down the road, when you're in an interview or working in PE, it's going to come down to what you actually did that was in your control. So how were you proactive? How did you grow and develop? You know, what new skills did you make it a point to pick up or master? So even if you don't get staffed on the coolest projects, it's really important how you handle it as a letdown versus an opportunity. And that will say a lot about you. I also had the opportunity to work with an amazing woman, a manager of mine, who taught me that I should pay attention to my mood and productivity throughout the day as I work on different tasks. So when I when do I feel like I'm crushing it, doing my best work? When do I feel tired or unmotivated? And I should try to identify the triggers for these feelings so that I can carve out roles and projects that highlight my best self and let my managers and colleagues know the best way to work with me. And this was a level of intention I had never thought to bring to my day-to-day work. And it taught me so many things about myself as a professional. And I think with a career like private equity, you do have to be very intentional about positioning yourself for certain roles. And so this is an important exercise to be constantly doing with yourself. 
And then last, I would say you have to drive your own career because no one else will. It's important to ask for help and advice. And like we talked about earlier, loyalty is a big factor. But at the end of the day, it's your career and you have to make decisions for yourself. You don't have to burn bridges and you can maintain relationships, but you have to be your own advocate or opportunities will pass you by and you know nobody else is going to drive for you. So those are, those are my little tidbits of, of advice for someone looking to break into the field. You, you know, you, <laughs> that's awesome. You, you said these things and I was just like, <laughs> preach it, <laughs> preach it, Malia. Preach it. Keep preaching. That's really great, practical. You know, the, the insights are awesome. I love the analogy that, you know, the, the software versus hardware and, you know, the, the, the piece of advice that you received from your, you know, that's a rock star that you had, I think, um, you know, to understand that's, I mean, that is something that, you know, you should apply, not, not just in PE. I mean, that, that is just, you know, anything <laughs> that's life. <laughs> that's really great. You know, like life advice, you know, really understanding the triggers and, and, and you know, doing the, the self-reflection. That's something that so many people don't do. I mean, I feel like you do that when you're much older in your life. Uh, and I think that if we can learn to do that early on in our careers, you know, then the potential for the potential for growth. Um, and I think your trajectory um, can, you know, can change significantly. That That is probably, I think, one of the most powerful pieces of advice anyone can really receive is really understanding what those triggers are and what your passion it what your passion is uh, because that always translates it, you know mm-hmm. you can tell you know when when you are working with someone that is just you know loves what they do it transmits in a way that you know is you can't really describe it you understand it you feel it and so if you're able to understand that at an early stage of your career you know then your career path can you know can be impacted in in so many ways the earlier you understand that in your career you know the the, obviously the the more stronger of a player that that you can be. So yes, that intentional reflection is is great. And of course, you know, the the driving your career, you're absolutely right. Ultimately it, it's up to you. And you 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 know you talked about like the asking for help and and again, you know, where there's like all these themes that I find are getting you know woven into all of the conversations that I'm having with all of my ladies who rock. Uh, guests and and this was one of the points that my first guest made is that you know women mm-hmm. have a hard time asking for help many times so that that's you know really great practical advice um, really great insights for you know all of those uh, young ladies and 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 men who <laughs> who may be following closely or or loosely even in your in your career steps so you know my my last question before we wrap things up Malia is you know, how do you think women should support other women in PE and, and not just female colleagues, but, but female candidates? Yes. First and foremost in society, for whatever reason, women are often pitted against each other, not just professionally, but definitely in a professional setting as well. So when meeting a new female colleague or starting a new project with a female colleague, we can demonstrate our allyship through vocal and public support of each other when deserved. 
and probably you should do this for all your colleagues, but you know, that depends on your style. It's especially important for female colleagues. And this can come from a very positive place, like pointing out, simply pointing out during a meeting, oh, Alexis, that was executed very well, which causes everyone to stop and think, oh yeah, that really was. Or perhaps more importantly, in a corrective situation. So for example, I once shared an idea during a strategy discussion with several partners and other junior team members. And a few minutes later, a colleague of mine suggested the exact same idea as his own without acknowledging me. And one of my peers just quickly said, yes, Malia suggested that a few minutes ago, and I agree. It was a small moment, but it subtly and professionally corrected an unhelpful behavior in a way that the whole team could learn from. And it also meant a lot to me and my sense of belonging and excitement about the project. For candidates, it's it's a little tricky, but I think it's very important. Women can support other women in private equity by holding each other to the absolute highest standard. Those There are those who will say that women are only getting certain jobs or promotions because they are women and not because she was the most qualified. And Alexis, I'm sure you know better than anyone, that is not true. I have been involved in recruiting both in my current role and previous. And I can say that the female talent out there, you know, at least at my level from what I've seen is exceptional. So we as women in the field need to never lower the bar for other women for two reasons. One, to encourage each other to realize our full potential, push outside our comfort zones, and also to show our male colleagues that increasing the number of women in finance does not mean lowering standards, but rather raising them. There are currently less women in the field. So just logistically, it's harder to find that one great candidate. You know, it's just statistically more challenging. But if you actually believe in only having the best for your team, it's worth the extra effort to seek out that diversity of thought and experience. So, you know, that's my soapbox and I stand behind it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that is absolutely, it's, it's absolutely right. The talent, I think the female talent in this space is is phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's really great. And that's why I'm always, you know, I I always feel like we need to bring, we need to have more women in this space. We need it. It's just, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. (laughs) There's, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there's not a lot of women, like you said, um, in this space, there's not a lot of women in consulting and it makes it difficult to, to really one, to find the talent. And then as we've, as we've touched on to, you know, to really attract the talent and, and get them to you know, seriously um, make the, make the moves. But that is absolutely, you know, you, you hit everything on the head right there. Well, Malia, I feel like, you know, you have provided such great career advice and insights, you know, women, it's very clear that women play a critical role in shaping the future of the industry. And, and of course, you know, my intention with having you as my guest was, you know, to hopefully set in motion a cycle that would inspire other young women to consider careers in in PE and, and to get, you know, all those out there who, for whatever the reasons, you know, feel limited or intimidated to explore this path because I, I do believe that, you know, private equity can provide a brilliant career and, and, and needs to, you know, we need to shine the spotlight more on, more on it. So thank you for taking the stage uh, and sharing your story, your opinions uh, and your advice. You are definitely someone I would 
consider to be an up and comer and uh, and a true rock star. Thank so you. Thank I you love so being much. called a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a rock star. <laughs> you are a rock star. So thanks so much, Malia. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Take the Stage and our special series, Ladies Who Rock. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Malia Funk. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you're a company or candidate who would like to work with career rock stars, please reach out on LinkedIn or write to me at alexis at career-rockstars.com. Thanks again, and until next time.